Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 131 called Dacia. Infertile AF is supported by First Republic Bank. With a best-in-class banking app that allows you to bank anywhere, anytime, and a dedicated personal banker when you need one-on-one service, First Republic is uniquely positioned to offer the best of both worlds. With this combination of personal attention and convenience, it's no wonder that First Republic Bank has a client satisfaction rating two times the industry average. So whether you're opening a personal line of credit or planning for your retirement, you can count on First Republic to be there for you every step of the way. Visit firstrepublic.com today to learn more. That's firstrepublic.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. All right, guys. So today's guest is Dacia James-Lewis. She's a Hollywood choreographer and author of the book, The Game of Life, Releasing the Weight When God Says Wait. And today she's going to tell us all about her infertility journey and how, although she's been trying to have a baby for several years, it hasn't happened yet. Dacia says, I want people to know that there's somebody still waiting with them. There's somebody still praying with them. There's somebody still going through this journey that they can relate to. She's also going to talk about her faith, her husband's diagnosis, why they're choosing to not do IUI or IVF, and why she wrote her book. So it's yet again another unique journey and another unique perspective, and I thank her for sharing it and to all of you for listening. So without further ado, this is Dacia's Infertility Story. Thank you so much for doing this. It's so good to meet you and talk to you today. Thank you for having me, Ali. You know, I'm ready to chime in and get it started, you know? Oh my gosh. I cannot wait. So first let's talk about, you have a book out and it's called The Game of Life. Yeah. Um, and you talk about so much in this book, the subtitles, releasing the weight when God says wait. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so tell yeah. me about just, let's talk about the book first. When did you decide that you wanted to write a book and how did you make it so candid and like humorous? And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's your story, but I think so many people can relate to it as well. Yeah. I, my book is journalistic, right? Mm -hmm. So I was writing in my journal for years. I think my husband and I got married, not, I think, let me not say, I think, because I should know what my anniversary is, right? (laughs) We got married in 2011. Okay. I always forget mine too. (laughs) It's like, let me not do that on the podcast, right? Right. (laughs) We got married in 2011 and I, I've been an avid journal, journal, uh, journaler. Is it called a journaler? (laughs) I think so. Yeah. Journaler. Right. I've, I've been journaling since I was in high school, you know, just really writing down my thoughts. It was a great way to express what I was going through or even to kind of divulge sensitive areas, you know, and just hear myself think, you know, and, and, and as a Christian, it's my way of praying to God, you know, or even being upset with God, you know, it, it, it became this moment of just transparency for me all of my life. I would hate to go back and read those high school uh, journals though. Um. <laughs> oh my God. I recently found, sorry to interrupt, but I recently found some of my diaries because I kept one all through growing up as well. And they're so fun. It's just all about boys and all yes, about like, does he like me? Do you think he likes me? So-and-so like picked me up and it's yeah. just like, oh. That was me in high school through college. So 
I mean, that being said, I love my journals. And um, about a year after we had gotten married, we had decided, you know, let's start trying for kids. Actually, he had decided over me. And um, after a while, I want to say like six to eight months, Mm -hmm. I started to get a little bit concerned. And um, I noticed that my journal as the years, and we'll talk about that later, of the fertility journey started to happen. I had this stack of journal journals just sitting in my room. And as I went back to read, so this might be like seven, six years, you know, after being married, I started to see a place that I was no longer in, right? Because through that journey, through that journey of fertility, I end up, you know, going through this place of being really healed and content with where I am. But when you look back, I felt like, oh, girl, you were going through some stuff. I could even look back and say you were probably depressed and didn't even know that you were depressed. And so because I was no longer in that place, it was really hard to read those journal entries. And I felt like if I was going through this, I'm sure many women or even couples that might be struggling with fertility might be having these same types of thoughts and Mm -hmm. don't feel that there's a safe place to kind of have conversation without being judged or being shamed. Mm -hmm. And so I thought to myself, a friend of mine had just wrote a book and I thought to myself, and you know how your friends write, I can write a book too, girl, you wrote a book because it's not like this author, like, you know, that you you love and worship. It's like, no, my friend wrote a book, you know, it, it just shows you, you can do it, right? It's a tangible goal. And so I was like, this is a book. This is a book. This is going to help some people. And so I kind of gathered all my journal entries and said, uh, okay, I'm going to do this. But it was a long, it was a long, long, long journey to writing the book because once I started, it was really hard to go back to the places and read those entries. So this book took me about four years Mm -hmm. to really write. And I'm a pantser. I did not have an outline where, you know, this is my intro. This is, you know, the subjects that I'm going to talk about, the topics that I'm going to talk about. It was nothing like that. It was like, just write, you know, just write what you feel. And of course, that's going to take time as well, because now I have to go and organize all these things that I wrote. And I think that's the most difficult part of writing Mm -hmm. the book is next time I will probably get an outline together. (laughs) Sure, sure. But I get it that like stream of consciousness. Sometimes it's a little bit more authentic too, if you're just kind of writing off the right. cuff and what you remember. Very so let's, true. let's backtrack a little bit. Tell me about when did you know as a young woman that you might have something going on with your fertility? Was it once you guys started to try or did you have any like health issues or anything earlier? No, I didn't have any health issues at all that we're aware of, mm-hmm. right? Because we can tend to not really know what a normal cycle is, which which I think is very interesting. I, I'm, I'm getting currently getting my master's, and I just wrote a solutions uh, journal a solution journal story on endometriosis. Mm. It's not something that I particularly have, but as I started to really dive into the research and the symptoms, and started to interview people for this particular story, it really enlightened me on how we can say we can actually think this is something normal with heavy periods and clots and things like that. We could actually think that that's normal and not know and, and call it hereditary. And, and, and doctors can tend to say, you just have a heavy period mm-hmm. instead of going deeper. And like, there might be some underlying problem happening. I don't particularly have any issues, but I just thought that was very interesting as I did that uh, paper 
um, that these there are things that are going on with women's body that we kind of negate. There's negligence when it comes to this. So my cycles are pretty regular. I, you know, you you never think that you're going to have trouble conceiving um, when you actually start, you know, make that decision. And so due to ignorance, right? Because you don't really know. I Googled like, oh, we've been trying to conceive for like a year. And then who knew that, number one, they call this a disease. And for right. it's a disease like that, that doesn't feel good, right? Who really wants to say that this is a disease? Right. And then number two, I think that for me, being a Christian, we'll tend to like pray and hope that, you know, there's there's nothing wrong and it'll just miraculously happen instead mm-hmm. of actually going get checked, finding out, you know, you know, getting all your your HSG and your husband getting, um, you know, his sperm analysis. We don't even think to do that. And if your parents or your parents' parents didn't have these types of issues, then you have no idea where to start. Right. In, in terms of fertility, you have no idea. Exactly. So for me, it, that's why it took so long for me to be like, I think something's wrong, right? Because it's like two years and three years. And then my friends, my close circle are now on their second kids and we're still trying for a first kid. Yeah. And I'm like, there, there has to be something that's just not, you know, connecting, you know, with this. And right. so I think, I think maybe year three for us, I, it was more alarming. Okay. Like, let me really dive deeper. Into I want to unpack this a little bit and talk about when you guys first started to try when was the first time you realized that there was a problem and what was happening? Was it that you just weren't getting pregnant or did you have any losses along the way or what was going on? Yeah, it wasn't that I had any losses or anything. It just was not happening. Wasn't happening you know, okay. at all. And here, here's the other thing, because I didn't even know ignorance, right? Uh, lack of knowledge. What ovulation was as a same. grown woman. Same. <laughs> oh, my God. To see it, I Same. I talk about this all the time, but it's, I didn't know anything. I didn't even know what IVF was really. I thought it was for people that wanted to have multiple children. I really did. I was so ignorant coming into this whole world. I knew. Right. Right. And, and they don't teach us that. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when you're younger and in biology classes, no one says, okay, well, when you, you know, what I call it the slippery slope, right? So what I talk when I talk to my my younger mentees and stuff, I was like, now if it gets slippery, you wipe. I call it the slip. When you wipe and slides, girl, you're probably ovulating, right? Because you're having that that um, the clear mucus that's happening. But I think that we got to be very candid with these younger girls that are growing up because people weren't as candid with us in terms of our bodies, and they need to know their bodies. And Completely. I said it at my youth ministry amongst my girls. She was like. Yeah, you know, 17, 18, is that what that is? Oh, oh my, my gosh, gosh. Yes. you know, and yeah. who, we are doing a disservice if we don't continue to share totally. that wealth of information. Yeah. Completely. So for me, I didn't even know when I was ovulating, you know, right? either. So, you know, so that could have been another thing that contributed to not conceiving at that time. Right. And, um, but no, no losses or, or anything in the first few years, okay. just not connecting the dots, right? right? And not actually conceiving or probably not even knowing how to conceive. Right. You know? So how did that make you feel like emotionally? I mean, that's, it's hard, right? Like I've said this again, you know, many, many times, but like, I feel like when you want to have a baby and you can't, it's the saddest thing. It's like, yeah. it's just devastating, especially like you said, when you see people around you where it's happening mm-hmm. for them with seemingly no issues. So yeah. when, how were you feeling when, you know, after a year, two years yeah. and it wasn't happening, what kind of toll did that take on you emotionally? At first I'd say it was frustrating, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't really know what's going on. 
And then that frustration turned to anger. Mm-hmm. I was very candid about that in my book. And I had to be very mindful of jealousy, mm-hmm. you know, and not getting into that place of, you know, feeling, I call it also entitlement, you know, when you feel like you're, you're, you've done it right. I mean, whatever that is, right. You know, that you're, you're married now and, you know, <laughs> you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby in the baby carriage versus having like a 15, 16 year old cousin who gets pregnant and you're like, what the hell, you know, really? Um, trying to stay in that place of not being judgmental either. Yeah. There, there's so many different emotions, and I call those the weight in the book W E I G H T because there's so many levels to that disappointment mm-hmm. and um, discouragement. There's so many different emotions and feelings, and as a woman, being that this is one of the things that we do, right, is giving birth. You can also feel like a failure, mm-hmm. in a sense. And every every time you miss the opportunity, you feel like it's a failed attempt at something mm-hmm. and then start to question what's wrong with you. Like we internalize it mm-hmm. and start to kind of dissect the areas and compartmentalize what could possibly be wrong with us. Or it even feels not fair at times, mm-hmm. you know. Totally. Um, yeah. So I, I think there were a lot of things going through my head, but. I think around year four or five is when it really started to get, you know, interesting for me. And I started to shut down and shut people out, you know, being that you feel like you're no longer compatible with people. So like if you start off in this circle and no one has kids and then you find yourself being the odd ball out and then you find people uh, walking on eggshells around you because they know like that always made me feel uncomfortable. So I did feel like I kind of started to shift you know, my environments sometimes to make me feel comfortable in the journey. And and I think that that is important. I I talk to my therapist about that because you'll feel bad about it, but it's just protecting your space and protecting. She tells me to control what you can control. And so if you're feeling a certain kind of way, you don't want to go to a baby shower because let's say maybe you had a miscarriage that week or maybe you started your cycle and it was a failed attempt, then don't put yourself through something, protect your space. And I had to learn that that was okay, right? you know, and send a gift from afar. Like, I love you, but I don't even want to go into your space like that because I'm not jealous of you. I'm just dealing with me. Completely. Right Were people understanding when you would do that? Yeah. I think that they understood after they read the book. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because you get very candid about it, you know, because I didn't necessarily divulge it to everybody and nor did, did it feel like, it didn't feel like they were judgy towards me. It's all me. It's all the 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 thoughts that yeah. I were I was thinking about what it is that they could possibly, you know, be thinking of me or thinking that I can't have kids or, you know, it's it's all these things ruminating in your head totally. that you've made up yourself. Right. Yeah. And so once you're in the book, you know, that's why I apologize at the at the beginning of the introduction. Like okay. if I've offended you, if I, you know, move like just understand that this is what it is, or this is a process for those that are really um, on this mission to conceive and it can really be draining. So give grace and hopefully they'll give grace to other people, you know, as they read the book and understand what that looks like. Completely. I totally, yeah, I agree with you. I never felt so insecure in my life, except for when I was trying to have a baby, because I started to spiral like I would talk about it to my friends and then I would get paranoid because they weren't going through it. And I was like, they probably think this is all I talk about. They probably think I'm crazy. They probably, and I had secondary infertility 
So I'm like, they probably think I'm being greedy because I want to have another baby. And, you know, like you just start to play all these mind games with yourself. So I'm curious, how is your husband doing with all of this? And how were you guys like as a couple? Well, my husband's a trooper, right? Like, you know, I'm grateful. We've been married. We just celebrated 10 years of marriage in May. And I got to say, when I'm at my lowest, you know, and I don't even see how this could possibly happen or, you know, I feel like my faith is really low. My husband has been just the rock that kind of keeps us together, the glue, because he's very sensitive to the situation. And Mm -hmm. now we've grown into that though, right? Because men internalize and process things differently from Mm -hmm. women. And I'm like, you're not mad. You're not upset. You're not disappointed. And he might be disappointed for the day, but then he like, somehow he was able to like pick up, you know, and go. And our situation is a little bit different because I think as the time went on and, and, you know, you go to the doctor and you get, I particularly got a what they say, a clean slate, you know, for lack of better words. And my husband was diagnosed with male in fact, male factor infertility, which was a shocker in some case to him because, mm. you know, you'll read in the book where he, you know, and I was like, Hey, my doctor said you might need to go get checked. And he's like, Oh, I'm not shooting no blanks, you know? Oh and yeah. It was very humbling, you know, for him, you know, totally. in that sense. And, and, and one of the things that my doctor told me was, this can get really sticky, right? So don't don't get into the blame game. It mm-hmm. takes two to tangle, right? One might have got you know some type of diagnosis, and the other one didn't. But it still takes two people to make this happen. And so I was very uh, conscious about uh, making sure he felt well, you know, okay in this process as well. But in turn, that started to build another weight of resentment for me, right? Because I'm waiting for you to get checked and you get, you know, get to a place where you're at peace with going because there's still fear on his side that he didn't necessarily express. And so we had to have a conversation like, listen, I'm trying to figure out why you haven't gone and gotten checked. And he's like, you know, to be honest, it's just a fear. It's a fear of finding out that it is me. So finally, when we get to that place and it is, I remember us being in Italy celebrating our anniversary and the doctor calls in Italy to, oh to give the report, right? You're Happy like, anniversary. <laughs> right. Vacation ruined, you know. <laughs> and totally. we're like headed to Rome and you know, on the on the shuttle, and he's just staring out the window. And I'm like, oh, oh God. God. Yeah. And it, it was a damper, you know, yeah. on the situation. But you know, I, I think for my husband to be to have that type of diagnosis and not let it affect you. And I'm not going to say not affect you. Let's say it in a sense, like you're getting through it. Like you're yes, able. To it's not going to take you down. You'll it's get through it. Yeah. Exactly. Because it took me down. I need to get it. And it took me all the way down. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what did they yeah. diagnose him with exactly? And, and just timeline wise. So you, you had been trying for how long now, how many years before you guys actually went and got a diagnosis and met with like an RE or an REI? Yeah, I, I want to say around year three, maybe, okay. was when I got all of my testing done and completed, and the referral was given to my husband. And I want to say he waited a year and a half to two years okay. to get checked. So that yeah. was definitely a process, you know, okay. right? So that's almost year five, year four, wow. five. Yeah. Okay. And so um, that's a lot. That's a long yeah. time, you know, yeah. to kind of wait. But 
Um, I can look back right now and say it was the best decision for us because this can take a toll on marriages. It really can. Totally. And, and although, you know, at that time, you know, there was this level of impatience. I had to really, I, I call it my prayer town. I, I really got some insight and wisdom on how to process it for myself mm-hmm. and how to be a helpmate to him as he was processing it and not feel anxious because mm. women can tend to get very anxious in these situations. You know, yeah. I, I got to get pregnant, my biological, but I, I really feel like I had a certain level of peace. How did so, you find that? Like, what were you, was it like your Christian background or what were you, what were some of the tools that you were using to deal with this? Cause I think so people listening really could yeah. benefit from that. Cause I was just a shit show. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> to be honest, I had no tool. <laughs> Yeah. So that's when those journals came in handy. Okay. Right? And this is how the book, you know, came to fruition because a lot of those feelings were written down. And I found myself as a Christian, it's definitely, you know, a part of my faith, really spending a lot of time in prayer in the morning and really releasing what I was feeling and feeling like God was giving me supernatural peace. You know, Mm -hmm. I I honestly feel and wisdom on how to engage with my husband and have conversations. And we just made a deal to always have, have open, honest, transparent conversations. Mm -hmm. And in my frustration, let him know. And in his frustration, let me know. And conversation Mm -hmm. has to be open and honest. And I know if I had gotten to a point of complete frustration that he probably would have like would have went immediately, right? But I didn't get to that point. I, I do attest that to my my faith and just believing God that this is going to work out, and however, in whatever way it's going to work out, right? And and so for me, as I look back at this book being 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 written and helping so many people, I'm like, okay, this is phenomenal in a sense that if I'm on this earth to be an inspiration and an outlet and to help somebody else get through it, then let me be that and let me find contentment in my particular journey. Mm, right. Yeah. That that's a, an, that's a very mature place to be. It's a, I time. was going to say that's so, yeah. it's such a grown like thought to have. I'm yeah. yeah. That's, and I look back at so many women who, who, you know, email me or they hit me up on Instagram, mm-hmm. or, you know, and they say, Oh my gosh, I went through this too. And, and, it's about a waiting season in general. There's so many women that were reading yeah. like, I'm still waiting on my husband. And although you, you know, my story at the beginning, talks about infertility. They're calling me about their weight. Cause the question is, what's your weight? What's your your weight? weight might not be my weight, but we all experience waiting at some particular point totally. in time, you know? Totally. And so how do we wait? Well, like that has been right. what my book is built on. Like there's an art to waiting well, and it absolutely does take maturity, but it also takes transparency mm-hmm. and it also takes faith. And it takes you getting to a place to where you got to understand that tomorrow's not even promised because we walk in this, we really walk in pride and arrogance, like tomorrow's going to be here, totally. you know, for us. Right. And so I'm just trying to leave my mark. And, and if that means that my fertility journey journey is postponed, then okay. Do I believe that it's never going to happen? No, I believe it's going to happen. It's going to happen in God's perfect timing. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, just to, to throw it out there. So my husband, yeah. to go back to your question, my husband had been um, diagnosed with a varicocele vein yeah. where it's kind of this, you know, where your, your sperm is being choked, mm-hmm. right? So it does low motility and low uh, sperm count. Mm-hmm. And so for us, we had to figure out what that looks like. And, and the doctors were like, well, well, let's, you know, 
uh, get the varicocele surgery, mm-hmm. you know, for my husband. And he did get the surgery he did. and it did help the count, but we still didn't get pregnant. Right. Okay. So it's like that scripture. You can throw the dice, but God's going to determine how they land. I love what you say about, you know, writing the book to help other people. Cause I really do think it has been, and will help more, you know, as it even gets spread, spread around more, but tell me, let's go back to your story a little bit. So he had the surgery and, and what happened next? So after the surgery, we just continued to, to try to conceive naturally, which is what the doctor recommended. I, I particularly was uneasy with IVF as well as IUI, mostly because it's a lack of knowledge, not really understanding. And as a Christian, feeling like you're taking matters into your own hands. That was something that I really had to deal with in my, in my faith and, and not saying that this is a miracle and this is not a miracle, mm-hmm. right? It's just gaining the knowledge and understanding because if you don't understand, like you said, you thought IVF was for having more kids, mm-hmm. you know, um, when you don't understand the processes, the process and the procedures, you can automatically say, no, I want no parts of this. But my, our doctor continued to say, let's continue to try naturally for the rest of this year after the surgery. Well, it didn't necessarily happen for us either after the surgery. So that was difficult. But then mm-hmm. in the midst of that, we had a miscarriage. So that was my first miscarriage after the varicocele vein surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which so was, sorry. You know, I appreciate that. Um, it That to me was the most difficult part. But there was something about the whole process. Again, I got to equate to some type of maturity and some type of peace. Because as soon as I got the uh, the positive, it was almost too good to be true. Mm. I, I don't know if that really makes sense, but you've been disappointed for years and years yeah. and years. You're almost, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like you see, this probably won't happen. This is too good yep. to be true. Yep. You know, this is probably going to end. And I don't know why I thought that yeah. prior to, and it ended up, <laughs> you know, resulting in a miscarriage. And so yeah. we carried that weight as well. Just yeah. thinking that it'll never happen. And when it I does, think a lot of people that have gone through infertility and disappointment, you know, you get so used to getting bad news and you start to protect your heart and your, yeah. you know, your mind. And so that, you know, when you get good news, it's almost like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop because it always does. Cause yeah. you're always on that bad side of the statistics or, mm-hmm. you know, so I totally understand what you're saying. I think that's really relatable. Yeah. And I, and I think you, you hit it nail on the head. It's protecting your heart and your mind from more disappointment, especially mm-hmm. if you've gotten to a place of despondency or hopelessness, mm-hmm. it can really be hard to crawl out of that pit, you know? Right. Um, and so it's like, you see a light at the end of the tunnel, but you're like, that light is going to, it's too dim. It's, yeah. it's been so long. It's so far. It's so dim. Yeah. You know, it's got to go black. Right? Yeah. You know? You're like, someone's just sitting there by the light switch <laughs> about to turn it off. It's like, right. They're going to turn it off any second. I get it. Exactly. Exactly. Totally. And so, uh, you know, it's a really weird situation because up to the the last moment, even when I started believing and you don't even know. And again, ignorance, no idea why right. I was bleeding or, you know, nothing like that. At the end of the day, I'm not, it was considered a blighted ovum. Okay. Um, so do you know how far along you were? about seven weeks. Okay. I had, yeah. yeah. Similar with me at one of mine. Yeah. Yeah. And I wouldn't have known. It's just like when I started bleeding and went to the doctor, my doctor was like, did anything drop from you? And I was like, drop for me. What, what do you mean? You know, just not knowing. And um, I was like, no, nothing has dropped from me. And, and so the next day 
you know, I something ended up dropping. And it, being the scientist that I am in my head, right, I actually got it out the toilet. And so I put Did it you? in my bag. Yeah, I called my doctor and she's like, oh my gosh, uh, I'm so proud of you. You know, some people won't get it. She's like, right, to get like, biopsied? Yeah, absolutely. She's okay. like, thank you for doing that. Put it in a Ziploc bag, put it in the fridge and bring it in on Monday, which is what I did. And, you know, and we talked about it and what that felt like. And I opted for DNC to clean out, you know, everything. And that was the most difficult part for sure. Cause it was like, it's like your last bit of hopelessness and your last bit of hope. Right. And um, as I was in the, no, prior to getting uh, the DNC, they did an ultrasound in the midst of the, the bleeding and the, the like, the operator was shocked at something. And all of a sudden she ran out the room and I'm what? like, well, what the hell just happened? Yeah. And she's like, I, I think I see another one. So at that moment, she thought it was a possible another, you know, <laughs> baby in there. And that my husband's sitting in the chair, like it's a miracle. You know, like he's still oh. praying. Oh, he has faith all the way to the end. Right. It's a miracle. It's a miracle we've been waiting for. And, um, you know, that then my doctor comes in and she scans and she says, no, it's not, it's, it's residue. Um, oh you know, man. Et cetera, et cetera. So then that's when I got the DNC and I, and I remember being on the bed and nobody can be in there with you for the DNC. And, you know, it's just you and the doctor and this long, it's catheter, I think is what it's called. And, you know, you just see everything coming out of you. And, and that was the hardest part is like, you can just see residue come, coming out of that clear tube into the machine. And I describe that as probably the most horrible. Yeah. <laughs> because the machine, machine is so loud. Right? right. It's like a lawnmower. Right. It totally. Yeah. Yeah. There's something like barbaric about it or something. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and I can laugh about it now. Right. And, right. And this, the reason why, because I don't want people coming like, why are y'all laughing about this? But well, I'm in such a healed place. And yeah. I wrote it in a in a comedic way because I think that we can put too much on this and you can stay in this place. But I, I want to laugh. I want to smile, but I want to inform you at the same time. Right. But yes. let's chuckle about it. Let's chuckle about them crazy thoughts that were going through my head. Oh, my God. I completely agree with you. I, I like if we can't laugh through some of this shit, we're we're never going to get through it. I mean, right. it's you have to, you just have, have to. to, some of you it is to. so absurd. Yeah. You know, some yeah. of the things that we go through and it's just like, if you don't laugh, you'll just be devastated right. sobbing on the floor every day. Yeah. Right. yeah. So That's how long ago was this, this miscarriage? Oh my. Oh, 2017 or 2018. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 2017 or something. Okay. I, I'm not really sure. Somewhere. I, I and, try not to keep track. <laughs> I know it's hard to keep track of everything. And then, so what happened next? So after that, it took me a really long time to even want to have sex after that. Or some people were so like, well, let's get back on the horse and try it again. And then their their rebuttal is, well, at least you got pregnant. Like, it's a sign. And it's like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, those When people say at least dot, 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 I feel yeah. like that's. I always, you know, people always ask me, what's, what are the things you shouldn't, shouldn't say to someone that's suffered a loss? And I feel like at least anything always yeah. is not a good thing. It's not a good thing. At least exactly. it was early. At it's least you, still, oh, you know, at God. least you can get pregnant. At least you weren't that far along. It's like, F that, at least right. my ass. Like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. It's all took me, it definitely took me a, a while. And I think at that point I was like, everybody shut up. 
Like mm-hmm. everybody just be quiet. And I think that's <laughs> that's a part of where you get the rules of engagement in the book is I really start to say, everybody, there's rules to this. Like stop being invasive and mind your business. In my case, I say, mind your uterus, like mind your own uterus. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and, and and that's the middle section of the book is really talking about can have conscious conversation with people when we don't know what they're going through when you don't know what their waiting season is it's not business as usual where you as soon as you get married when you have kids and then don't even assume that once if they have one that they're ready to have another one their secondary infertility like you spoke of that people have no idea what that is or 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 how women might or couples might feel that are going through secondary um infertility mm-hmm. And so I speak about that in a very funny way in the rules of engagement, which is my favorite. It seems to be everybody's favorite part of the book Mm -hmm. because it's very comedic and you can relate to everything. And I give you those eight rules, you know, of how to engage with people. And so anyway, to answer your question, that was like 2017, 2018. And Mm -hmm. so it did take me a while to hop back on the horse, for lack of better words. Yeah. And um, then you got to process that for yourself. Like, what does that look like, you know, for you? Yeah. And, and, and some people can, like some people can really hop back on. But for me, I was, I need to pause. You yeah. Know? And the way that I processed it for myself was kind of like the at least situation, right? Even in your head, all the people might say it. I think I processed it like, well, at least that was only this, or at least it was just this. Right. And, and a friend of mine said to myself, a friend of mine said to me, that's how you're processing it and process it the way you need to process it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still a miscarriage. So if you need to mourn, yeah. you mourn, yeah. but process the way you need to yeah. process it. Yeah. Right? I'm so glad you said that. You know, that's one thing I also feel really strongly about too, is like a loss is a loss, whether it's, you know, how far along you are, or it's the loss of an embryo, yeah. or it's even the loss of how you thought your life was going to be. Yeah. That's there's grief in all of that. And I think as women, you know, we do ourselves a disservice when we don't take the time to grieve these various losses or when we try to diminish our experiences and say, well, she has it worse than me. Or, you know, we do that as women because we've always been taught to like be quiet and don't, you know. Yeah. Like um, this this humility aspect or I, I don't really know. And I don't know why we do that, you know? Um, yeah. But yeah, I had to learn that. And yeah. I was like, yeah, well, if I feel like mourning today, then mourn, right? Mm-hmm. And and another, you said it almost perfectly. It's like you are mourning the possibilities of what could be or, mm-hmm. or, or what the dream and the vision that you mm-hmm. saw for yourself and mm-hmm. it's not there. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't see it happening and that can be very frustrating and, and you can even enter into uh, depression because it's just not working the way that you, you saw it completely we created in our head and, and just think of anything else. You feel like you didn't achieve it. Mm-hmm. You know? And as you get older and older and you don't see it happening in their horizons, that too, in of itself can, can be diminishing to your faith and to your hope or even to your mental. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I, I was, I was, um, very, very adamant about getting a therapist. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Big yeah. fan of therapy. So yeah. what did the th- what did your therapist help you to realize like going through this this whole journey and and realize in terms of coping with it and yeah. you know where you are now and what's going on and all that? Yeah, our journey, so we're we're in 2021. And so for us, we're still trying without trying, if that makes sense. 
we have specialists that we've talked to. We haven't necessarily made any types of decisions yet. We are still mulling over what options we do have. Mm -hmm. And those that are considering options, there's are people that don't know what these options are. There's IUI and there's IVF and, and they're all, you know, invasive in a sense. And Mm -hmm. so you have to process what that is for you. And if you're ready to hop on into that, you know, journey, or if you need to settle yourself and, and mentally prepare yourself for that. And that might be a little, that might take a little longer than, than, you know, other people. Mm -hmm. Um, There's holistic routes. We're just weighing all options Mm -hmm. at the moment. I'm not pressed. And, and, and again, that's part of the contentment aspect. I'm not really pressed. Like those days are over where Mm -hmm. the anxiety and the anxiousness to conceive. Yeah. I'm in a weird place right now, but it's a good, weird place, right? (laughs) It's a good, weird place. I don't really know. You seem really peaceful. Like you're just your demeanor. You seem very calm. And like you said, not, not anxious about the whole thing. So I think that that's, that's a good place, a good headspace to be in. Let me ask you this. Are you, so with IUI and IVF, you just don't feel comfortable doing that for you, right? Is that what kind of what you're saying? Yeah. You know, that makes total sense to me. Yeah. I had to process for that because at first it felt unfair Mm -hmm. to me because everything is still, still has to happen to me, you know? Right. Right? And so I think I had to really, you have to shoot me with a needle, you know, I have to take medicines. Like, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's not um, a very settling and comforting experience. Like if you get the flu, right? Why do I have to take your flu medicine? You know, that's, that's what I had to process for myself. I had to wrap my mind around that. Yeah. So I'm still wrapping my mind around this. Right. So the fact that your husband doesn't have to get poked with needles, is that, that comes into play? Definitely comes into play. It it does. And, and some people are like, by any means necessary, but again, I have issues with invasiveness. Yeah. I think that (laughs) makes sense. Yeah. And so just, I had to, I have to be in a place in a space of being like at peace. One of the things that I work with for to me to settle myself. It's it's a scripture. It's in Proverbs. And it's talking about wisdom. And the scripture is all her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are paths of peace. And it says her because wisdom is referred to as, you know, I guess a female in that sense, but God is wisdom. Like that's what we're we are talking. God is wisdom. And so in walking in this particular journey, I go with my peace. All her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are paths of peace. If it brings me anxiety, I cannot move forward, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm moving in a place of anxiousness and it's not so, this, this, this is when we make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? And so usually to come out of anxiousness is usually time or information. It's time or information, right? And so for me, I think it's not a time thing, it's information, so I'm getting as much information as I can from my doctors. And that to me settles any type of anxiety that you could possibly have because you now are informed on a thing that you didn't really know at first. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why, you know, regarding a specialist or IBI or IUI, you know, really engaging in what that procedure looks like for me is we've switched doctors so many times that I finally found a doctor that gives a straight no chaser, right? And she's not the extreme because- to me, the people, hmm, how do I say this? 
as a black woman, there can be negligence mm. in, in, in the ho- in hospitals. Like we have to really be, yes. you know, candid mm-hmm. about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Atlanta has the number one mortality rate for for women that are um, having kids. I forgot how to say it. You know, pardon my pardon my not right. being <laughs> the technical terms. No. Yeah. But, um, so so sometimes when you're going into these rooms, it's the extreme. Yeah. All the time without giving me option A, option B, option C, option D, explain them all to me yeah. and then let me choose instead of you're giving me an end all be all. It has to be this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one doctor said this, another doctor said, but I have the best doctor right now. And um, she has been amazing in giving information, you know, and, and now we are faced with the options that that they have. She has proposed our prognosis and and we are thinking about which one we, we want to take. Okay. And in the process, we're going to still continue our natural thing. Yeah. But we're just trying to figure out well, which one of these works works for us. And I think that yeah. anybody who could be thinking about what procedures and processes should go with their piece, like really go go with what's settling to I you. love that. Go yeah. with your piece. That's Yeah, I think that's such a great thing to, a way to navigate this is because it, there's so many pressures. And I want to ask you too, as, as a black woman, are you, do you feel societal pressures? Like I've, you know, interviewed other women before who've said, you know, like Regina Townsend, I don't know if you know her, like Michelle Buteau, that like people say like, oh, you're supposed to be hyper fertile. Like, you know, and there's like this stigma about yeah. infertility and people almost don't give it the weight that speaking of weight, um, you know, right. the weight that it really does have. Cause it's like, well, you're not supposed to be infertile, you know, like you're supposed yeah. to be hyper fertile. Did you feel any of that? Yeah. I think that, you know, as a black woman, that is, you know, a myth, right. Is mm-hmm. that, that we're fertile, you know? Right. And again, that comes from ignorance. Yeah. Right? Just Completely. Informed, you know, and I don't think that there's pressure there as, as much as it is the pressure I felt as a career woman, okay. I, I felt more pr- pressure, less about being a black woman, mm-hmm. more about being a career woman. Mm. And this 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 time frame that I have or feeling like I have to lose something in order to do this. Like, I feel like that was the biggest pressure for me. Like, you can't be in the industry because they're, then you're going to have to uh, have a pregnant pause. And when you have that pregnant pause, you're out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, so I think that 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 to me was a bigger pressure. Okay. Then, you know, the whole hyper fertile, you're black, so you should right. be able to concede type of thing. It was more okay. like biological clock ticking. They're telling me I need to have kids in my 20s, not past my 30s, <laughs> my 35, you know, 35 and older. And then they're saying that I can't do it all. Like, that I'm going to be forgotten. I don't know what, and that might be because of the industry that I'm in, but right. I have questions on that side. Then, well, let's then. talk about your industry. Cause I was, I'll mention that in the intro as well, but you know, you're a choreographer and you've, you know, have a Hollywood career and you've worked with all these amazing, huge names and been in movies and all this stuff. So tell me about, tell me a little bit more about what you do. And like you said, how that has come into play. Like it's got to feel not to put words in your mouth, but like, like you said, you can't take a break. Like it's not a good time to maybe have a baby because then you'll like get lost in the shuffle or people will forget about, you know, you can't, if you're on like a trajectory, you can't take a pause because then you have to start from scratch or something. So tell me about that for you. I remember even when I got married, you know, and I 
and I went home because after after I got married, I moved from Los Angeles to Texas and I was still flying in to work, which is was way cheaper than paying rent. I just want to let y'all know it was cheaper (laughs) for me to fly in to work than it was to keep my apartment. Get out. Yes. It's really rent is crazy up there. (laughs) And so, um, so when I went back home, I call it back home, but when I went back to LA, Mm -hmm. I remember a year after getting married, I went to this industry event and I had a friend there who hadn't seen me. And he looked at me, he's like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. Most people get married and they lose it. Right. So there, there's these stigmas right, attached to even being married. Like, yeah, he was saying, like, you're still in shape. You're not at home, you know, being a wife, just eating it up or something. I don't know what he meant, but, you know, I was still in, in great shape, probably even better shape, you know. And 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 that's one of the things like you have this idea of what this looks like in the industry. OK. And so there's this and, and those that are listening. You you'll notice it even on Instagram. There's this bounce back situation where oh, everybody yeah. wants to show you how they bounce back postpartum. It's insane to me, right? Because we're we're natural natural women, and that was one of the things in my head before I I found out that we were having fertility struggles. I was like, uh uh-uh, uh, because I'm a bounce back. Like how I'm a dancer. I'm a choreographer. I got to be on the screen. Like right, right. How long is it gonna take me to get my body back to where they're actually gonna book me as a dancer? Right. What Crop top, whatever you know, you're thinking about all this irrelevant totally. stuff and the pressures. It's the pressures of working in the industry, and so that's one of the things I talked about in my book. It's why I continue to push, you know, trying to trying to conceive. It's like, yeah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm mm-hmm. not ready. And that was because um, I didn't want to lose ground. Right. And that's not the case. And, and I love Gabrielle Union and Chrissy Teigen, who really start to put their fertility struggles out and normalize it. You know, and they're not the only ones. I think Rebel, Rebel Wilson just, you know, put it out there. I, I think yeah. it's amazing yeah, because same. so many people look up to those of us yeah. that work in the industry. And when yeah. we normalize things, other people will tend to normalize things. Totally. Not that, you know, not that, uh, you know, people in the industry are so great. It's just that you now have a platform. And when you use those platforms to really say, no, I'm going through this too, then regular Joe Blow or Jane, Jane Doe will say, oh, snap, she's not, she's not, you know, uh, immortal, right? Right. She she is, she's not the superhero. Oh, she's just like me. And she's going through this. So I think working in the industry is, it can be convoluted, you know, so you got to be very mindful of your intent and your purpose and where you want to go. Yes, I have had the privilege of working with so many phenomenal uh, artists, but you none of that matters, right? I said in the book, infertility, is, it, it, has, it doesn't discriminate. It, it doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on TV or you built the TV, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It could just, that could be your plight. That can be your qualm. That could be something that you're going through. Right. And I think that we're so silent about it. So I'm so glad that we're starting to talk about it yeah. and have conversations about it and really kill the taboo that's associated with it. And I love that it's industry people, people that work in the entertainment industry. I love that it's there because people idolize these people. Of right? course. And so I, I think that it's great that we're having conversations. And and the, one of the things I'll, I'll say lastly in this part is that The reason I wrote the book is because when I was going through this journey with my husband, I was reading so many books and all of them had a happy ending that pissed me off. Right. At the end of the book, you know, they're like smiling with their kids and you're like, 
there's nobody like me. There's nobody still waiting like me. And you could be like, oh, I'm hopeful. I'm great. But at the end of my book, and I was like, okay, this is why the Lord, I feel like the Lord is like, no, I want people to know that there's somebody still waiting with them, that there's somebody still praying with them, that there's somebody still going through the journey and they, they can relate to because it becomes, you can't relate to them at the end because they have their amazing bundle of joy and you're still over here closing the book like, (laughs) you know, crying. (laughs) So that's what I think that my book has that other books don't. It's like, no, we're still in this and we're in this together. So let's do this together. You know what I mean? Like, that's a big thing for me. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my story with Dacia. I hope you enjoyed it. I love sharing all these different perspectives and different journeys. There's so many different things that people are going through. So we're going to keep it going. Obviously, if you guys have two seconds to go over and rate and review this podcast, it really helps us get noticed. So I'd really appreciate that. You can do it on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen. And also definitely check out Fertility Rally, which is the community that I co-founded with Blair Nelson of Fab Fertility. We are a 24-7 community that has content and support groups, tons of blogs and videos and interviews. And, you know, we do these amazing support groups on Mondays for pregnancy and motherhood after infertility. And we do them on Wednesdays for infertility. And we always have special guests and they're just amazing. We love our rally fam. So please check it out. If you're looking for more support, we can answer any questions that you have. You can Go on Instagram at Fertility Rally or go to fertilityrally.com. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next time.